Greetings. Welcome to our 44th episode of the FGI podcast series. My name is Tim Stark, and I'm a professor of civil engineering at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. And hello, everyone. I'm Jen Miller, and I'm the coordinator of the Fabricated Geomembrane Institute. On today's episode, we're going to focus on our October 18th, 2022 webinar titled Mobilized Interface Strengths on Geosynthetic Line Slopes. And the presenter of that webinar is Dr. Tim Stark. Uh, so first, we're going to uh, look at the questions that uh, from the live webinar presentation that we didn't get to. So let's just get started. Number one, why not prefer the peak strength from the ring shear as opposed to the peak strength from the direct shear? Great question. I actually prefer the peak strength from the ring shear device, but I realize that the direct shear device is more common in engineering practice because there's an ASTM test method D5321. I, I haven't written up the test method for ring shear testing and submitted it to ASTM yet. Uh, so it's not a ASTM standard test. So it's not as used as frequently in commercial laboratories as direct shear. But I do prefer the ring shear peak and large displacement and residual strength over direct shear. Okay, I'm gonna run down the, the remaining questions. Is there a life expectancy of the geomembranes? Will that affect the residual strength? I don't think so, because really the residual strength is just a function of the texturing or smoothness of the geomembrane. And generally that doesn't change that much, even if the, the geomembrane undergoes some aging or loss of plasticizer or antioxidant with it. But in summary, we have not conducted any interface shear tests where we've aged the interface and then after several years tested the interface. But very interesting research question. Number three, what is the utility of using a capillary barrier rather than a geotextile to cover the liner with, or for a cover system? In, which would you recommend? First, the capillary barrier in the geotextile in a cover system is placed above the geomembrane to keep the liquid from building up on the geomembrane. So I prefer the capillary barrier because that'll have a little higher hydraulic capacity than a non-woven geotextile. You'd have to have a fairly thick non-woven geotextile to be able to convey a lot of water off the top of the geomembrane in a cover system. Next, number four, what is the effect of low compressibility waste within the landfill compared to high compressible municipal solid waste? Does this suggest that higher shear, shear resistance can be used along the slope areas with low compressibility waste? Well, the low compressibility waste will induce smaller shear displacements along the critical inter interface along the side slope. However, we'll generally get to at least large displacement, if not residual on the side slope during construction and filling. So the effect of the waste really doesn't matter that much. 
and Jawa conducted some numerical analyses to show the effect of waste settlements on the shear displacements, which I'll get to in, in just a minute. Number five, slide number 22, which is now on the screen, shows a factor of safety 1.047 is not 41% higher than 1.0404. It's about 4%. Absolutely correct. Uh, the viewer, thanks for pointing that out. What I meant to have on the slide and say is this difference, which is shown here, 1004 to 1047, is for a smooth geomembrane because that's what was used in Kettleman Hills landfill. The 41% is if a textured geomembrane is used because you get a much larger strength loss from peak to large displacement and residual with a textured geomembrane than you do a uh, smooth geomembrane. So thank you for pointing that out. Number six, what are the implications of this work for higher normal load applications, say 600 to 1200 kPa, in a high seismic environment where earthquakes are experienced at the site. Would we go through a similar exercise to evaluate the required doorstop, or would good practice have us designed to residual anyways? Great question again. Earthquakes will only add additional shear displacements along the critical interface. So use the residual strength along the side slope in seismic areas, unless you perform a permanent seismic deformation analysis and show that a residual strength will not develop along the side slope and part of the base. But in general, earthquakes will contribute shear displacements, even small earthquakes. Uh, we didn't get a chance to talk about that in our presentation, but a small earthquake can induce enough shear displacement to start a progressive failure mechanism, which can lead to additional shear displacements and eventual catastrophic failure of the slope. Okay, next question, number seven. How does the texture of the accumulated soil affect the interface between the geomembrane and geotextile? I think this question is related to the accumulation of soil along the primary geomembrane right here. And now I've observed this in several landfill excavations. This is a prior one. Here's another one that I talked about. And you can see a buildup of soil in the texturing of the primary geomembrane. So the question is, does the soil affect the interface strength between the geomembrane and geotextile? It doesn't really because the clays will soften if there's moisture there, sands will have a similar shear strength. So it, it really doesn't, the soil texture doesn't have a large effect on the interface strength when you have soil buildup there. However, you'll see in a subsequent question that I'll answer, this does influence the peak and large displacement and residual strengths of the primary geomembrane interface. So it may not be the lowest large displacement or residual strength eventually because the soil gets involved in the uh, interface behavior. 
Okay, number eight. Any recommendations for side slope benches to counter the effect of a long side slope? Yes, the recommendation is use as wide a bench as you can. So you, the wider the bench, the longer the area in which you can generate a peak interface strength. So it's all about the length of the failure surface going across the bench, picking up some additional resistance because there's less displacements across the bench. So make the benches as wide as possible. And also the base of the landfill as wide as possible. Okay, number nine, regarding leachate on the base, with the use of a drainage composite drainage layer designed for the maximum leachate depth that is less, and it's going to be less than, say, the collection system, would you automatically recommend use of reduced peak strength? No, but the buildup of liquid on the interface that you're looking at decreases the effective stress, but not the interface strength. Now, that may have been a little confusing in the presentation. Let's see, where's the effect of water? Yeah, right here. So the last part of the presentation showed results of direct shear tests on textured geomembrane drainage composite interfaces with dry and soaked interfaces. And basically the soaking didn't change the shear resistance. And that's the blue line is dry, the red line is soaked. And you can see pretty small difference. So the effect of soaking did not significantly change the interface strength. In the ring shear device, we ran Jala ran the test soaked. So what that means is the specimen was submerged the entire test. And there, there was a small difference. Um, let's see right here. The submerged is the peak envelope right here. The dry is the red envelope. So a little difference in the peak interface strengths, but the large displacement and residual end up at the same place, regardless of whether it's dry or soaked. So the biggest effect is the liquid causing a decrease in effective stress along your interface. Okay, number 49, slide 49, and question number 10. Slide 49 suggests that an interface that has a higher peak will end up becoming the critical interface for large displacement and residual. This is not the typical message. You're absolutely correct, and that's why we talked about this. This goes back to the soil building up on the primary geomembrane. And here are the photos I showed earlier. So what happens is the peak interface strength is the pink line with soil. So it's a little lower because the texturing is covered up or filled, some of it's filled up by the soil. However, because there's soil interface, the large displacement and residual interface strengths are higher than without soil. And the reason that occurs is the soil fills up some of the texturing, so you get less fiber combing parallel to the direction of shear 
And if you reduce the amount of combing, you reduce the amount of post-peak strength loss. And that's why you see the large displacement primary and residual, which is the brown or orange, higher than the blue and brown residual and large displacement without soil. So yes, it is, it is not the typical message and that's why we included it in the webinar. Okay, <clears throat> number 11, which is the last question from during the webinar. If initial peak of texture geomembrane has high strength, there are many numerical references that indicate waste settlement will not cause significant displacement on a three to one slope, such as Reddy et al., Jones and Dixon, Rowe and Mu. 2019, Cabazangian and all. If the numerical analyses do not show enough displacement in these cases, what exactly would be the mechanism for going to post-peak? First, let me go back to Jala's numerical results that show the effect of waste settlement. This is slide 30 and 31. So the green line is with the extrapolated direct shear and the purple is just the direct shear data. These displacement relationships do not have waste settlement included. Okay. The next slide, 31, includes the waste settlement. So using the green line with the extrapolated direct shear from the prior graph, the difference between the green and the blue line is the effect of waste settlement modeled using the modified CAM clay constitutive model. So you can see there's actually quite a bit of difference in shear displacement that occurs due to waste settlement. The reason these other papers did not show such an impact is their numerical models did not consider displacement softening of the geosynthetic interfaces, whereas Yala's model does. And you can see as the waste settles, you get down drag on the side slope and additional shear displacement. So consider waste settlement, but you're still at large displacement residual due to the construction and filling operations as well. Okay, so now let me shift to the questions that were submitted after the presentation. One is from the Australian broadcast. And they want to confirm that the movements you've been discussing on the side slope are assumed to happen above the geomembrane so that you are not putting the geomembrane in touching. So would you need to confirm that you always have a higher shear interface shear strength below the geomembrane than above it? Okay. In the numerical model, the geosynthetics are anchored at the top of the slope. So there's like a numerical anchor trench at the top of the slope. So tension did develop in the geosynthetics at the top of the model. If we go down the slope a ways, uh, these displacements are occurring at the top of the geomembrane. And that's because the model was set up like that. And it is good to have a higher interface strength below the geomembrane so you can control where the weakness is. And if it occurs above the geomembrane, the waste could move and leave the geomembrane intact. And that's the concept of including a slip layer or a weak layer. So we know where the displacements will occur and the bottom liner or geomembrane 
will not be damaged. Okay. So, for example, if you had a double geomembrane system, you would want a weak layer on the top of the primary geomembrane. So the secondary geomembrane would remain intact, regardless of what happens to the primary geomembrane. Okay, uh, next question. Slide 42. Yep. Slide 42 says never use peak strength on the side slope, but the same slide indicates peak is acceptable on flatter slopes, four to one, five to one, six to one. Perhaps some comment on this is warranted. Okay, first, this is a numerical analysis. Yes, it's great, and Jala did a great job on it. But in the field, we can't control the deformations. And it only takes a small amount of deformation to go from peak to large displacement and then out to residual. So the prudent thing to do is not use peak strength on the side slope. Right? Second is the 80 meter long side slope right here is very short. Generally, a landfill slope is longer than 80 meters. So this is really a rare occurrence here where a peak might develop numerically, okay? So I still like not using peak strength on the side slope. Now that's the bad news. The good news is I thought everybody would ha be happy because in 1994, Stark and Popel said, never use anything but residual on a side slope but at least now with the numerical analyses that Shala conducted we might be able to use large displacement on some slopes as you can see in the table but i still don't think we can mobilize a peak strength on a side slope even six to one okay last question would you still use peak strength along the base in seismic zones like California, or would you drop to post-peak or residual? Well, as I mentioned earlier, earthquakes will only yield more displacements. So I think a good rule of thumb would be using large displacement on the base in large seismic zones, okay? And if you want to refine that a little bit, you could conduct a permanent deformation analysis and show that the shear resistance will be higher than the large displacement strength. So the design would look like large displacement on the base, residual on the side slope in a high seismic area. Okay, those are all the questions that were submitted. If you have additional questions or would like additional information, please send your question to the FGI at fabricatedgeomembrane at gmail.com. You can download the webinar slides from the FGI website, fabricatedgeomembrane.com. And thank you so much for attending the webinar and most importantly for your questions. They're great questions and it helps us improve the presentation and the upcoming papers. Thanks for attending. See ya.